There is a, a ton of energy that a, a few people put in every week to make this space happen. It's turning blank rooms into kids' rooms on Sunday mornings and turning blank rooms into adult gathering spaces and hauling speakers and all that kind of stuff. So if, if you sense that some of us are really excited, part of it is we just don't want to pull muscles on Sundays and Tuesdays anymore. Um, but since Studebaker is next and we're at this transition point, there's a few things going on. Tonight, like every Tuesday night, we're headed over to Baker's afterwards to hang out, which is right across the street in the Doubletree Hotel. If you don't know where that is or how to find it, just like hit up anyone who looks like they know what's going on. And they'll be happy to point you in the right direction. But tonight being our last night at Baker's on a Tuesday night, we just, uh, we're throwing in a little extra special food for the hangout. And Baker's is kicking in dessert to say thank you. Um, I know that uh, having waited tables myself uh, in a season of life, the rumors about Christians being awful are true at restaurants. But I'm really grateful that our community has found a way uh, to love and, and be great to the people who work at Baker's. And I think that's been their experience. And so they wanted to say thanks to us. So please plan to hang out, eat lots of food, and uh, let's just plan to offer lots of grace and peace and love to the crew there that has served us really well over the last uh, like two and a half months as we've been going over there. So that's going on uh, our last Tuesday night here. Next Tuesday night, Sunday, Tuesday, we're at Studebaker. So a few things about this transition. Our space is a little tricky to find right now. It's kind of buried at the back of the factory complex down a road right next to the jail, next to the parking lot that's not quite poured yet. And um, we'll have signage all over. So I promise if you get to Lafayette Street, we'll get you from there, okay? <laughs> um, if you came to our open house in the Studebaker space uh, months ago now, I guess, it's been quite a while. If you came to that open house, you might have entered the whole development from like the west on another street there, don't do that. There's gates and chain link fences and you, you won't get through that way. Go to Lafayette and we'll get you from there. Um, but it's the address that we'll have on our website and our social media and we'll make sure that you're in the loop. If you're not tuned into some of that stuff, here's how you can do it. You could follow SB City Church on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or uh, better yet, you could go to the website and sign up for the newsletter. It's right there on the front page, just says newsletter. And we'll only email you when there's something really important to know about, I promise. We don't like send an email every week for the sake of sending an email every week, but those are really good ways to stay in the loop. Now, our first week at Studebaker, uh, I said this before, I want to say it again. This is not like grand opening, ribbon cutting party. This is when your friend gets a brand new apartment, they don't have any furniture, and they haven't figured out how to turn on all the lights. But it doesn't matter because they got a new place and it's really cool. So we're going to be there together whether we have everything put together or not. We're going to be all one family, kids, adults, all part of the same shared experience for our first Sunday and Tuesday at Studebaker. Uh, we're going to gather at the regular service time, 10.30, Sunday, 7 p.m. Tuesday. Uh, we'll sing a song together, um, all sort of set us up a little bit. And then we're going to equip everyone to move through the space, to pray over the space, to dream in that space together. So we're going to give you uh, some guides if that's helpful for you, just in case you want to do it on your own or if you want to do it with some friends or buddy up with some strangers that you'll make friends that night. And you can move into the kids' rooms and out to the parking lot. And we just want to dedicate the, st the space with the prayers of, of all of us. And if you're the person who's like, yeah, I don't, I don't pray at all because I don't know if I believe in all that, but I like coming to these gatherings. Just like always, we're really committed to making that something that you could participate in in your own way that night too. Uh, so that's going to happen. And then after a, a little time for that, we're going to come together uh, as a community in that space to come at Jesus' table and to receive Eucharist because it just seems like the most fitting thing we could do for our first family gathering at South Bend City Church at the Studebaker is to come to Jesus' table. So we'll do all that, and that'll probably be shorter than the usual amount of time that we gather for, like, 
in the room like this. So then what we're going to do is um, have a little fun and hang out together in our brand new space. If you're one of those who goes back and forth between Sunday and Tuesday, just know the Sunday plan is at the end of our formal program time, uh, we're inviting everyone to bring brunchy snacks. Brunchy snacks. Both words matter. So like brunchy, got it, but snacks. Like if you're planning on bringing like burners and omelet pans to do your own omelet bar, no, okay? Like snacks, okay? But, and then we're going to provide coffee. And so you, everybody bring the snacks. We'll provide the coffee. And we just want to like enjoy that space together. Kids can run around and we'll figure out the things that are most susceptible to being broken the very first day the kids are there. That'll be great. Um, but Tuesday night, check this out. If you're part of the Tuesday night gathering, uh, a member of our church community has a fantastic restaurant. His name is Sean Kelly and his restaurant's called Temper Grill. Any Temper Grill fans? A few of you, right? So Sean has volunteered to provide all the food Tuesday night at the end of our service. So uh, that'll be very special. I think he's doing like some big tubs of temper mac and cheese and maybe some sliders or something like that. I know, I I've lost you all. Now you're hungry. <laughs> you're just going to go straight to Baker's to satisfy that. Uh, so that's going on then. Um, so what we're asking for Tuesday night is since Sean is providing all that from Temper Grill, we're inviting the community to, uh, and we'll provide bottled water, and then we're inviting the community to bring your own soda, beer, or wine. So that's the plan for that night uh, in Studebaker space. And we will pray and come to Jesus' table and hang out and just begin to feel uh, the way that that space is for all of us and the other people in our city who ache for the grace and peace that we're working toward together. So uh, that's coming up right around the corner. Um, just a little more. You hanging with me still? We're about to the message. That's good. Um, because I always forget, I'll just say this now. If you want to make an offering, uh, we'll pass those baskets around. As always, no pressure at all. Uh, you can give online. You can give in the room. Or you don't have to give at all. That's not why we have you here. But in case you'd like to make an offering. Uh, one more big thing, which is... Um, uh, Oh, yeah. Um, as we move into Studebaker, there's all these new opportunities for you to get your hands on the ministry that's a part of South End City Church. So maybe you've been wondering for a while, like, how do I get in, like, on the work? How do I be more of a part of this? Well, the good news is, like, as we move into Studebaker and the life of our church grows a little bit, there are new opportunities for you to do that. So if you want to be one of the people that helps other people feel welcome, uh, we could use many more people on the greeter rotation. That way we don't have to use anybody up every week. And you could be, um, it, it's so simple and accessible. It just takes you being able to be here a little earlier than when service begins and you being able to learn a little bit about how we want to approach welcoming people. So you could greet uh, kids ministry. Uh, like I said, we, we have these uh, spaces that we're trying to develop for kids so that they can have an incredible experience. Uh, you can, you can um, get trained in kids ministry and find out how to be a part of that. Uh, the band, the music, there's some buttons and some technology to work in the new space. And the easiest way to let us know you want to be involved in any of that is just go to the website, go to the volunteer link, and you'll just fill out a little form and we'll follow up with you. So there's that. And before we turn to the message, um, today's not Father's Day, but Sunday was. And I just want to uh, turn to that for a moment. Uh, it, maybe Father's Day for you is like full of celebration. Maybe you're a father and you hear that word. And it's a really good one. It's like, it's a word that reminds you of some of the stuff in life that you're most fond of, of where life has been really, really meaningful to you. And we just want to celebrate with you because uh, we know it's not easy. And yet uh, you've walked that road and um, we're really grateful for that. And we want to say that's really good. Um, maybe you're somebody um, for whom that word's really complicated. Um, maybe because of uh, how you feel like you might not have lived up to that role. Um, or maybe because of the person who was supposed to live up that role for you didn't somehow. Um, maybe you're a person who wishes dad was there and he wasn't. 
Maybe you're a person for whom dad was there and you wish he hadn't been because it was really bad when he was there. Um, we just know it's a really, really complicated word. And uh, as a community, we want to celebrate with those who celebrate and weep with those who weep. And that's hard to do sort of en masse, but we, we want to do our best in that effort, you know? So, um, yeah, I say to anybody in the room who wears that word dad, um, we, we love you and we're grateful and we're cheering for you that you've stepped into that very difficult work. And uh, we really believe that God's with you in it and cheering for you in it too. And for anybody who's finding that word very complicated or difficult Sunday or today or every time it comes up, uh, we really believe God is with you in that too. Um, I think for some, the fact that God calls himself a father, you might think like, surely there's better PR if your experience of father has been really bad. And I, I think perhaps um, the gift that's hidden in that is that if, if that's been a very difficult human experience for you, that there, there is more to what you could experience and some of that might be waiting in a God who wants to father us too. Um, so I just want to pray. And uh, if you've got somebody near you that uh, uh, carries that word father in their life and you, and you know them and you <laughs> want to put an arm around them or like on their knee or something like that, um, that'd be awesome. And uh, we'll pray together and then we'll turn to the scriptures. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you for uh, all the fathers. We know that it is a, an immense burden to carry that it can be full of incredible joy, that uh, to, to walk in that life and that calling brings with it heartbreak and sweat and frustration and beauty and reward, and that every person's experience of those things is unique. So uh, today we celebrate. We thank you for men who have loved well and worked hard and lived well to give themselves to families that needed them. Um, we thank you for the promise of healing and hope for all the ways that word is broken and the experience might have been bad. For all those for whom that word brings up a lot of ache, we just invite you to work and heal and help us to understand your character as Father and what that means. And uh, wherever we come from today, whatever these experiences bring up, may we walk together in the next few minutes as we open the scriptures. So uh, collect us now, God, and we'll see where you take us. In Christ's name. We all said, Amen. Amen. Guys, this is the last week of Genesis. What do you think? <laughs> it's not helpful. <laughs> last week of Genesis. Um, it's not the last part of Genesis, but we're sort of wrapping up at a turning point in the book of Genesis so we can turn on to what's next. Two weeks from now, we're going to jump into Bible rehab and we're going to spend a few weeks like pulling out and looking at the big picture of what we do with this book. But before we do, uh, I just want to remind you where we've been very, very recently. So first part of Genesis sets this incredible background of the story, a world that's a temple, the whole thing. And you and I, every human being made in the image of God, call it out to get your hands on the raw materials and make something beautiful of the world that we see. I mean, that's powerful stuff, right? But like we said last week, that's just setting. And you can't drive a story with a setting, Right? You need like an engine, you need a desire, you need a prophecy or a promise or an expectation or some picture of where the story is going and wh what it's getting at to drive it as it moves forward. And we looked at Genesis 12 last week at, at this engine that moves things along. We said it's, we said it's like the, uh, the Disney movies that always have the I want song at the beginning, right? Like, I just can't wait to be king. Uh, or how about this one? It's not an I want song. But the Lord of the Rings, like a classic epic story, and the destruction of that ring and the liberation of Middle-earth, I mean, it, 
It's amazing how a, a powerful engine in a story could, could drive a very epic, very long movie, right? <laughs> right? If the engine is strong enough. And what we have in Genesis 12 is the engine that is, in fact, driving the entire Scripture. And what we want to say today is, if it's driving the entire Scripture, then it's not just meant to drive the Scripture. We're being invited for it to be the engine that drives us, not just individually, but as a church, as a community that's shaped by the scriptures, that's shaped by the story of scripture, to, to, to be compelled by this same picture of the future that we want to be a part of. So today I want to uh, turn back to Genesis 12 for a second, and then I just want to look at a few of the things that are experienced as that engine starts moving. Because uh, it's amazing to me, Abram, who receives this calling and is sort of the starting point for this story, in just a few chapters he experiences all these things that you might relate to, I know I can relate to, um, as you start following the call to leave the safety of, of your tribe, your country, your home, and go to a wild and difficult place where God might be calling you to get your hands on the world and make something beautiful of it. Because it is difficult out there. It's risky out there. Sometimes it's scary out there. But out there waiting for us is um, all kinds of stuff that we're going to see. So let me, let me remind you, uh, Genesis 12, uh, this is what we looked at last week. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed for you. And that's the engine driving the whole thing. Blessed to be a blessing, people called out into wild and unexpected places so they can make something beautiful of the world and give themselves away. That's driving the whole thing. Now, um, as I was thinking about this this week and thinking of like some of your stories that I know, it struck me how many people in our community I, I know can relate to some version of leave, uh, go from your country, your people, and your father's household. Go from your culture, your tribe, and the safety of your home to the unexpected, difficult, wild place out there that may not be cultivated yet. Like, like I know some in our community, like the fact that you're here tonight, that you're a part of this community, is in fact a manifestation of leaving something safe or familiar. I mean, maybe for you just to like leave your home to like walk into a, a new church is terrifying. I don't know. Maybe it meant walking into a very unfamiliar place and you weren't sure what you were in, uh, what, what this had in store for you. Uh, maybe for some of you, um, the last few months or the last few years have meant leaving behind a certain kind of um, theological safety a certain kind of theological certainty. Um, I know a, a lot of us, a lot of people um, are walking through a sort of deconstruction of sorts where some of the ideas and the way that they held together, they don't quite work that way anymore. And there can be a season where like all you do is you just kind of like take those questions and you just kind of like throw them under the rug, right? It's like, let's not go there. Um, because I like how this thing fits together and I'm secure within these ideas, within this way of thinking about God and the world. And yet, something provoked you, and at some point you realized you couldn't keep just shoving things under the rug. You had to look at these questions, and that meant leaving some of that safety, some of that certainty. It might have even meant leaving your tribe, because a lot of tribes get organized around, we have to agree on everything, right? Uh, for some of you, it wasn't like theology would be the word. Maybe for you, it was sort of a lack of theology, because you did live in a world that really worked where there is no picture of God, there is nothing beyond the materials that we can see and touch all around us, and yet you're here because like something unexpected is opening up inside you and you're trying to figure that out. And it was really safe to live in a world where you could, you could sort of see the whole picture and there's no mystery there. 
There's, there's nothing that you would describe as spirit there or faith there. And yet something's like kind of pulling you out of that now. And it can be really, really terrifying because you liked the way the world fit together for you. Some of us um, are leaving a country called shame. And the, the, the sick thing about shame and what it does to us is we can somehow learn to feel safe the way that shame locks us up. And to walk away from it into a country of freedom is in fact terrifying because we don't even know who we are without our shame. And yet here we are walking together somehow. And as we move through um, Abram's story, I just want to keep asking as we move through these things, like, have you related to this in your past? Does it name anything for you? Or is it possible that it's pointing towards something that's around the corner for you as we keep walking together? Um, maybe, maybe you can relate to leaving your country, or maybe you're about to. I don't know. You do that, other stuff's going to happen. Uh, look at chapter 14. I think you've got it next on your program there. Chapter 14 is the weirdest, like, two sentences in the entire Old Testament which is why I like them so much, except there's some weird stuff coming up in 15 as well. Uh, it's just this little blip on the radar that you could read right by, but this ought to mess with us because it defies a lot of logic. It, it, it sort of screws with the whole story, and I just want to just draw your attention to this. So remember, this is, this is coming from, from a, a storyline, right, where Abram is, is uniquely God's man, right? And around him, he's got idolaters and polygamists all around him who worship all the wrong gods or too many gods, right? But Abram, Abram is God's man. And then from Abram is going to come God's people, right? And they're going to be the ones that have the right ideas and the right theology. And they're going to be the ones that have this special relationship to Yahweh, their God, right? That, that's all sort of in the water here in Abram's story. And yet we have this passage in chapter 14. This is right after Abram has had some, uh, some battle with some other kings and stuff in Sodom. And he's uh, sort of moving his way through that world. We have this in verse 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. This, out of nowhere. There's, like, there's no setup for this or anything. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Now hold on before you read the last sentence. So this is a stranger that shows up who's not part of Abram's tribe. He hasn't had this, this revelation that Abram's had about who God is through, that, that's recorded in the scriptures the way that we have it. He just sort of randomly shows up. He brings out bread and wine, and then he claims to be a priest of the very same God, and then he claims to speak for that God. Now, if I'm Abram and I've left my country and I'm out there in a wild and dangerous place and somebody who's not from my tribe but doesn't speak my language or my culture or... or or have any of the things that tell me that we're on the same page, like theologically, spiritually, right? Like if he comes to me speaking for God, wanting to like have, have a, a meal of bread and wine with me in a very sacramental way, like if I'm Abram, but I bring like a Jason mentality to this, it's quite possible that I'm like, hold on, hold on a second. I need to see your doctrinal statement, <laughs> right? Like, like how, how, how do I make sense of... This foreigner, this stranger who just comes and claims to be a part of the very same thing that I'm experiencing, a part of the same God who's working in the world. It's interesting, there's a little note here, uh, King of Salem. Uh, some scholars think this is some sort of allusion to the future home of the Israelites, Jerusalem, right? Also, the word has notes of peace in the Hebrew, King of Peace. A King of Peace comes to him out of nowhere and says, um, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a priest of the very same God that, that you're on this journey following and Abram's got a choice to make, but how's he going to respond to this? And I don't know about you, but if I'm me, I'm like, 
For one reason or another, I'm not sure what I do with you if you're outside my tribe, outside my language, outside my culture, outside my creed, outside my religious background. Like, I don't know what to do with this, but look at what Abram does. This is interesting. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Another word for that would be a tithe, which is what you do in this story when you recognize the house of God. He gave him a tithe, which is what you do in this story when you say, God is at work here. This is, this is God's thing here. He just has this way of recognizing it. I really think it's possible that when you leave your safe place and you go out to the wild place that God's called you to, to the risk, to the unexpected place, to the wilderness, to the difficult thing, I think it's really quite possible that one of the things that will happen is that God will start meeting you through unexpected people and it might break down all of your lines. God might start meeting you through people who have different experiences than yours. Don't fit the categories that you have for where you know to look for God. And I think it's really beautiful that Abram has some kind of openness that he's able to say, this too is of God somehow. Let's, uh, let's keep looking. Um, chapter 15. Uh, so they have this, this little interchange, and then uh, there's a little more plot line. Then we get to chapter 15, verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision and said, Don't be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield and your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Remember, the whole promise, the whole promise is predicated on Abram's family line. Right? I'm going to make you a great nation through your family line. So the whole thing is predicated on Abram actually having a son. Right? And the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Look up at the star and count, or sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and the soundtrack cricked in, and great is thy faithfulness played with strings. And he credited it to him as righteousness. So he has this moment of great doubt and then great faith, right? God's, God like gives him this profound mystical experience that speaks to him under the stars and says, don't worry, I've got this. And he says, I, I believe you, right? Next verse. Then he also said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? And if we had time to like go through all of Abram's story, we would see that Abram goes through a pathological cycle of doubt and faith and 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 doubt and faith over and over and over again. I mean, he's he's back and forth, back and forth. And I can relate to this so much because I think that when you really step out to wild places that you might be called to, that step will be an act of faith. You'll take a step or two and, and, and you'll be full of belief for a moment, but you'll get a couple steps into it and you'll look around and you'll say, wait a minute, are we sure about this? Are we sure this, is that what we really heard? And then you'll try to go back to the experience that you had of, of God or spirit or, or however you want to describe that very elusive thing that speaks to you inside and tells you this is the way to go. You'll try to go back to that experience that you had and get your hands on it again. But when you go back to it, you try, it's like as you try to get your hands on it, it'll dissolve right there in front of you. Have you ever been there? This, I think, is actually really common because it shows up again and again and again for Abram. Doubt and faith and doubt and faith and doubt and faith. At one point, he like, he like gives his wife over to become part of Pharaoh's, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Harem. 
to be one of the women that sleeps with Pharaoh whenever he wants because again, he's afraid that God can't take care of the promise again and again and again. By the way, he does that twice, actually. <laughs> doubt and faith and doubt and faith and doubt and faith and doubt and faith. It's interesting, Abram, who just keeps going back and forth in, in the, the later scriptures in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, he's held up as a paragon of faith, like a hero of faith. The writer of Hebrews says, Abram is what faith looks like. But here it is, doubt and faith and doubt and faith and doubt and faith. And I say that maybe because that's comforting for you. Like maybe you need to know that like, the fact that you don't feel certain every day, that might not mean that you're far from it. The fact that you can't keep returning to moments of clarity that you had might not mean that you're deficient or defective or that you don't have the stuff that it takes to keep walking. Maybe that's what it's like to keep walking. Like one day you're very clear and you take a step and then you look around from where you now are and you're not sure for a second. That's okay. We keep walking together. I really, um, we're very committed to this being a community where that walk of doubt and faith can happen and that your moments of faith can belong as much as your moments of doubt because they're all there in the story. I think I've told you guys this one before, but this, it, it's so connected for me to all of this. Um, I go to college as a music ed major because music was the one thing that I felt confident in, the one thing that worked for me in high school. It was the thing I felt like I could make a living at. It was the thing I felt affirmed in. It was just the good thing in my life, right? And then my freshman year of college, I'm working out a lot of things, and one of the things I'm working out is this strange inner sense that that's actually not the future that I'm supposed to go toward, that I'm supposed to move toward something that looks more like what I'm doing right now. And so, um, so I wrestled with this for quite a while, and then I decided to change my major from music ed to, I forget which was next in my seven or eight majors, but it wasn't music ed. <laughs> and, and guys, I mean, like, almost everyone around me is telling me this is a terrible idea. Uh, I went to a private college that I could not afford, and I had music scholarship that was on the line that I was going to have to say goodbye to. I had some of my music professors actually call me into their office. And these are, these are men I loved and respected, I still do, but th these are people who looked at me and said, you're making a terrible mistake, don't do this. But I did it, and I go to the registrar, and, and that's that step right into a wild and sort of dangerous place. It, at least it felt kind of risky for me, you know? And I make that change, and I'm not making this up, you guys. The very next morning after I've gone to the registrar and filled out the paperwork, I wake up in bed. I'm on the top bunk of Oakwood Dorm at Bethel, and I'm looking at that nasty stained drop ceiling, and my first thought is, well, I don't know if I believe in God. <laughs> and I had just, like, traded in my whole music career just for this thing that was sort of built around a work life in the God stuff, you know what I mean? I think this is really common. Take a step, look around, freak out, take a deep breath, take another step, look around, freak out, take another step. Like we walk together through faith and doubt. It's right there in the story. And if we're going to take the story seriously, we should make room for that. Um, a little further in chapter 15, uh, it's just amazing to me how much of Abram's life I can actually really relate to and I think is really just a part of the human journey of walking toward the, what we're called to be as human beings, you know? Uh, just a little later in chapter 15, um, the next verse actually, pick up here. Uh, there's a very, very peculiar um, episode that we're going to unpack. So the Lord said to him, this is right after, again, Abram's like, I don't know, God, are we going to do this or not? The Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. 
And when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river the Euphrates. Now, this is one of those moments in the Old Testament where, like, I know it can be easy to, like, you're reading along, and all of a sudden there's just, like, blood and guts everywhere. Dead animals everywhere, like, like a bad slasher film. Like, I know it, it can feel like a very distant thing to relate to here, right? Like, we have parts of the, like, the stars in the sky thing, like, that works for us, right? But the cut these animals in half thing, that's a little goofy for us, right? Well, um, there's, there's something going on here. This is one of those places where the fact that this is an ancient Near Eastern text means that actually it, it matters to know a little bit about ancient Near Easterns and what's going on here. This is one of those moments. Because, see, there's, um, there's a thing that ancient Near Easterns did to settle covenants, ways of locking in something that's deeper than a contract when we say whatever comes our way, whether it costs us our lives, we will stick to the promises that we are making here. These are covenants between kingdoms, covenants between kin. When we are saying we are really going to stick with this, and here's what you do in these covenants. In these covenants, you take a few animals and you slice them in half and you lay down each half in such a way that there's a path that goes between the animals, like through the middle. So on either side of you, you've got one half of the animals that you just slaughtered, right? And what you do is each party to the covenant, both of the players that are essentially signing this contract, they, walk, they each walk through that path between these dead animals. And what they are saying to one another is, if I fail to live up to my end of the covenant, then may it be to me as it's been to these animals. May the same fate befall me. May I be ripped in two from top to bottom and never exist again. May that happen to me the way it's happened to these two animals. This is an ancient Near Eastern way of making a covenant. Now, watch this, because here we have Abram splitting these animals in half, right? First of all, there's an interesting hint. You've got these two things that pass through, right? You've got, um, uh, you've got the smoking fire pot and the blazing torch. And a lot of sources, especially Jewish sources who read this text, it, it's just interesting to point out that not long after this episode, as the promise that God has given Abram is opening up in the world, and there's a whole people called Israel, who are all his descendants, who are walking back into the wilderness, back to the wild place after they are liberated from their slavery in Egypt, that out in the wild and difficult place, they are led by a pillar of smoke or cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. That later in this story, the way that God will lead them through the wild and difficult place is with these... um, mysterious sort of experiences of a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And it's almost like this story is whispering toward that future, winking toward that future, where God will be leading Abram's entire family when they need that leadership, right? So there's that, but there's something else going on here. Because remember, you have two parties to a covenant. In this case, it'd be Abram and God. And in this covenant ceremony, each party walks through that space between the dead carcasses to say we are equal parties to this covenant. It requires both of us to live up to it, and we're both... uh, saying, make this fate come upon me if I don't live up to my end. Here's the trick. Abram doesn't walk through the animals. It's like the way that humans make covenant with one another is being taken into the story and flipped upside down. The only thing that passes through the animals are a couple of signs of God's presence. The only thing passing through the animals are a couple of signs of God himself. While Abram stands on the sidelines, and watches. It's almost like God is saying, I want to bless so badly that I will do it whether you come through or not. 
It's almost like God is saying, I want this engine to drive the human story, blessing to break into your life and into this people and out into the world. I want it so badly that I'm going to do it whether you live up or not. It's almost like God is saying, this isn't even something that you carry on your shoulders. It's just something that I'm carrying on my shoulders. And yeah, like there will be times when you're out there walking in a wild place and you will have sweat on your brow, dirt all over you. You will be exhausted because it's been hard work. And yet, when those blessings break in and break through into the world, you'll know that it wasn't because you made it happen. It wasn't because you wrangled those blessings to the ground. It's just because God is so intent on blessing that he will do it either way. So God gives Abram a covenant ceremony where God passes through twice while Abram watches as if to say this is way different than anything else you've ever been a part of. I just want to do this so badly that I'm going to do it. I just want to bless. I just want this story to move forward so badly that I'm going to make sure it moves forward whether you get on board or not. Now, there's another character in Scripture who has just lots of resonance with the Abram story. I mean, you can find these patterns again and again and again and again. But it was the early followers of Jesus who came to the understanding that in some mysterious way, it made sense to say that Christ left the safety of his father's home to come to a wild and difficult place where he would be dragged out into a wilderness and tempted, where he'd be misunderstood and beaten and abused, abandoned, and then that they would attempt to destroy. That, that it's Jesus who, in fact, is called the Blessed One, but who's so clearly just doing everything he can to give those blessings away, to heal and to feed and to give his very life. And it was also the observation of the early followers of Jesus, the thing that was revealed to them that they made their way toward which is that in Christ, we see God doing the thing that he wanted to do on our behalf, whether we made it happen or not. That we see God blessing and healing and saving, whether we could get there on our own or not. And um, as these followers of Jesus told the story of Jesus, there's another word that kept coming up for them. In the Old Testament, we have blessing, sort of central to the story, right? God said, I want to bless you and I want blessing to flow through you. There was another word that seems to sort of take over as the language for that engine in the New Testament. And this is a word that the followers of Jesus would use when they recall him being asked, what is most important? And they remembered his answer. And this is a word that those followers of Jesus would use to describe the very thing that happened when he died. And this would be the word that they would use to describe the, the engine that compelled his life. And this is a word that pops up like when you read Paul's letters. Anybody ever read Paul's letters? I know, I, I get it, yeah. <laughs> they're, sometimes they're hairy. Sometimes you, like, you get lost somewhere in like chapter seven and you're like, Paul, man, get an editor. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't, like they can be very complicated, right? But there are moments in Paul's letters where like this one word, it seems like whenever this one word comes up, it's like he comes out of that sort of complicated, boggy theology, and there's just this clarity that just like sings. And when he uses this word, he says it's so wide and deep and high and long, like you can't even get your arms around it. And he uses this word to say that you can never be separated from it. In other words, like that this engine will keep driving the story, and there's nothing that you can do to stop it, but you are welcome to get in on it if you'd like to. And the word that they keep using is love. 
that maybe it's love that compels God to tap Abram, this man and his wife who, as far as their biology is concerned, they have no future because children are your future in this time and place. And she's barren, that it's love that compels them to look upon them and say, and yet, I want, I want to do this for you. I want to bless you. And that it's love that um, compels God to send a, a Melchizedek priest, a mysterious stranger in the wilderness, to bless Abram when he needs it, and that it's love that compels God to lead the Israelites through the wilderness with fire and cloud, and that it's love that compels God to send his son, and that it's love that breaks in and through us, and that it's better at breaking in and through us when we're out there in wild and difficult places. That somehow love is better at breaking us and breaking through us into the world when we leave safe things behind. And so, I know the doubt and faith thing can be really, really hard. I know if you take a step out to the wild place and you look around and you're scared, that can just be terrifying. I get that. Been there, right? I know that um, there's a lot of good in those circles of safety that we, that we cling to. But it's so clear that there's something waiting for us when we leave all of that and go to the wild and difficult place. And it's not just blessing. It's, it's, it's a way of love breaking in and through us and into the world so that we can make something beautiful of it. So maybe that names things you've already been through. Like maybe, maybe you can relate to a lot of that. Maybe it names something that you're in right now. Doubt and faith or unexpected encounters with God or, or just the experience that in fact God is not gonna fail or give up. Or maybe that names some things that you can look forward to. I'm certain it names what our church has already experienced, and I'm absolutely convinced it names what's waiting for us as a community as we're on the threshold here and moving into a facility that we'll have around the week, and we start to understand why we're in that neighborhood, which you don't entirely know yet, and what's waiting for us there. Um, but as we sort of wrap up a season and look forward to the next one, I, uh, I really struggle to find words for how grateful and excited I am. And I think a lot of us feel that here. So um, rather than like end with a sissy little quiet reflection like we usually do, <laughs> I really like the sissy little quiet reflections. <laughs> um, but no, we kind of thought we would um, maybe get to our feet and, and sing a little more fully and joyfully about where we're headed and what we believe about all of that. So um, I'm gonna pray, but would you stand to your feet before I pray, if you're able, if that's comfortable for you? And then, uh, and then uh, Dan and crew are going to lead us for a bit. I'm always amazed, by the way. Dan planned this set with a larger band, but some things fell through. And I feel like Dan could show up with like a two-string banjo and we'd still be okay, you know? Um, but it helps when you all help. So let's all help. But let me pray for us and then we'll sing together a bit. God, we thank you for blessing even if it's not the kind of blessings we expected. We thank you especially for the blessings that call us out of safe places into wild and dangerous fields, uncultivated places in the world where things may be difficult, but we, we actually discover that you're waiting for us there to bless us and walk with us and to teach us how to make something beautiful. Uh, we thank you for that in our, in our individual stories. We also thank you for that for our church as we are just beginning to step out together into what you have. So as we conclude our season at Century Center and turn to Studebaker 
And we know that these structures and spaces, they do matter, but that they're not the ultimate thing for our community. In fact, they're, they're uh, perhaps just tools that we're here to use uh, to bless and serve one another and to share grace and peace with our neighbors. God, we are clear-eyed on what you've called us to, even if we're not sure what it will mean. And together we um, strengthen one another by singing songs of commitment and joy and belief about what you're doing and what you've asked us to do. So uh, meet us in our songs and the scriptures and in the ways that we greet one another at Baker's and um, in everything that's ahead. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And we all said, excited to keep figuring this out with you guys, which is another way of saying most of it I still don't have figured out. <laughs> um, but I'm really glad we get to walk together into the next chapter. Um, please head over to Baker's. Even if you don't have anyone that you came with and you're not sure if you know anyone here, I promise everyone else here knows that if you've been here more than once, you are a... Yes. Yeah, we take that really seriously. So even if you didn't come with anyone... I promise, like, by the time you're done at Baker's, you'll feel like you belong a little bit. We're really committed to that. A few of us are going to be packing up, just so you know, because we're not putting stuff in the storage closet tonight. Yes! So if you see some of us lingering here, it's just because we're bringing cars down and packing some stuff up to move it over to Studebaker. And uh, next week, whether you join us on Sunday or Tuesday, uh, we'll look forward to praying as a community and anticipating God's work in that space. Uh, I love you guys, and let me end the way we always do. Grace and peace be with you. Amen.